Well, good morning and welcome to Chapel Air. I am your pilot this morning. In the event of an emergency or a boring sermon, there are exits to either side, maybe to the back. And your pew actually can be used as a flotation device if need be. Now, my name is Joe McKechnie, and I am so blessed to be the pastor here at Chapel Roswell. I'm glad and honored to be in worship with each and every one of you this morning. I'm dressed a little bit differently this morning. We're kicking off a two-part series entitled, Come Fly With Me. What is that about? Well, we'll find out in just a matter of mere moments. But as we do come together as a community of faith this morning, let's begin by going to God in prayer. Dear most gracious God, we thank you for calling us together in this time and in this place this morning. We thank you for the ways in which you are at work in our lives and the ways in which you are leading us into a deeper relationship with you. Father God, open our hearts and our minds to the message that you have in store for us this morning. Lord, there are many people going through difficult days and tough times, and we ask for your presence and peace to sustain them. We lift up Hurricane Florence and the people in the devastating path in which that hurricane is traveling. Lord, I pray that you give us the right words to say and the right opportunities in which to say them to people who are around us, who are hurting. Lord, maybe there are others who are going through seasons of seemingly smooth sailing, and we celebrate with them in the midst of their joys. Lord God, we live in a world that is full of violence and hurt and chaos, and I pray that we can continually lean into you. We ask for your wisdom for our elected officials and leaders that they may seek your wisdom instead of leaning on the shifting sand of our culture. Lord, may we at Chapel Roswell be a community of faith where everyone feels valued and loved and affirmed. We ask for you to reach us at the point of our deepest need this morning, and may our time together be a blessing to each of us. But God, more importantly, may our worship this morning be pleasing to you. We love you, and we thank you for first loving us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, this morning, like I said, we're taking part in a, a two-week series entitled Come Fly With Me. I'm going to throw a little quiz your way this morning, okay? Put on your thinking caps. I'm going to list four people, and I want you to tell me what they all have in common, okay? Digging a little bit beneath the surface, okay? We've got Miley Cyrus. Uh, we've got Ben Affleck. We've got Britney Spears. We've got Megan Fox. What do those four people have in common? They're all incredibly fearful of flying. They're scared to fly. Now, let me tell you about another guy, a less famous man, who was no less afraid to fly. He was 81 years old. His name is Robert Kupperschmidt. Robert Kupperschmidt lived outside of Indianapolis, Indiana. He was 81 years old. He had only been on an airplane a couple of times in his life, and truthfully, he was deathly afraid of flying. But one of his good friends, one of his neighbors, is a private pilot, and he invited Robert Kuppersmith to come flying with him in his Cessna 152, a single-engine, two-seater aircraft, and they were going to go flying from Indianapolis to Muncie, Indiana. So Robert Kuppersmith decided to go flying aboard this little aircraft, and they were flying, like I said, from Indianapolis to Muncie, Indiana, a single-engine plane. The sky was bright blue. There were no turbulent skies. 
The, the, the clouds were white and puffy. It was a seemingly gorgeous day to be out flying. But about midway through the flight, Cuppersmith looked over and he realized that his friend, his good friend, the pilot, had slumped over. A little more investigating made Robert Cuppersmith realize that his friend, the pilot, sadly had died. Here was 81-year-old Robert Cuppersmith, afraid to fly, been only in an aircraft a couple of times in his life, a single-engine, two-seater aircraft, and the only other person on board had died. He got on the radio and he pleaded for help, and there was another pilot who was flying a private plane about 10 miles away, and he was able to, to radio back, and he instructed Robert Cuppersmith on how to, to, to first pull up the yoke to keep the plane from diving down into the ground. He talked him through all of the maneuvering as he prepared to land, and, and truthfully, the landing may have been one of the most awkward in the history of aviation, but Cuppersmith managed to land in a patch of tall grass adjacent to the paved runway. He was able to walk away, so it was a successful landing. But his very life, his very life depended on the instructions that were given to him and him following those to a T, which he was able to do, ensuring a healthy and a safe landing. Now, in our scripture this morning, we're going to the Old Testament. God is giving us instructions that are meant to keep us healthy and holy and safe. Our passage comes from the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah. Let me give you a little bit of a, a background on Isaiah. Isaiah was probably the most famous, most well-known, most revered of the prophets of Israel. You see, the prophet uh, was a, an elected position. It was basically someone who would declare the word of God. They were put in place by the king or the government or the leader. And very often when we think of prophets, we think of them foretelling the future. And in some cases that's true, but generally their goal and their role was to declare the word of God. And sometimes that did mean telling things that would happen. But the prophets were not very well-liked people. People didn't like the prophets. After all, they were declaring that the prophets, the, the prophets were declaring that the people were maybe not living in the right kind of life. And, and people didn't like being told that their culture is going away from where it should. And so the lives of the prophets, honestly, were pretty tough and pretty rough. And so in this case, we're reading from the prophet Isaiah, Israel's most famous prophet. The Israelites had been defeated by the Assyrians and later by the Syrians. And so the Jewish people, they had been defeated. They had been exiled from their homeland. So now they found themselves as strangers in a foreign land. They had been just lost and destitute. Everything that they had known had been stripped away from them in this battle. The power that they had felt as a nation had been taken away. The wealth that they had experienced was no more. They were defeated and they were disillusioned and they were crying out to God. And they find themselves literally or at least figuratively sitting there waiting for God to do something. They know that only God can change the circumstances in which they now find themselves because they are literally utterly helpless and hopeless. They were broken and they were weary and they were about to give up. 
That's when God, through the prophet Isaiah, delivered some earth-shattering, glorious good news. That God had not forgotten about them. That God had not abandoned them. That God had not forsaken them. So I'm going to take you to the 40th chapter of the book of Isaiah. We're going to go through verses 29, 30, and 31. It's a powerful message. And you may not find yourselves in literally the same situations as the Israelites found themselves. You may not have been defeated and driven from your homeland, but the truth is maybe you are facing some mounting obstacles that seem insurmountable, or you're facing situations that seem just so difficult to overcome, or maybe you're facing adversity or pressure or anxiety that never seems to stop. Maybe some of your relationships are suffering and you desperately are crying out to God because you want to be the dad or the mom or the husband or the wife or the son or the daughter or the grandparent or the coworker or the friend that you know you can be. So we're going to Isaiah 40, 29 through 31. He, God, gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might, God increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men will stumble badly, those who wait on the Lord, yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and they will not grow tired. They will walk and will not become weary. That's powerfully good news to people who desperately needed to hear some powerfully good news. Now, let's go back to verse 29. The Israelites, like I said, they were feeling weary. They were feeling down. And and maybe some of us find ourselves in that very place this morning. But here is the good news that God is declaring, that God gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, God increases power. Lord gives power to those who are weary, those who are tired, those who are weak, those who can't even seem to take yet one more step. Maybe you've been in that place before, or maybe you're in that place right now. I I know that I have. The circumstances that you're facing seem too too heavy to carry, and you're not sure how you're going to make it through. Your prayers aren't answered in the ways in which you would like them to be answered or the promises of God are are not being fulfilled in the timetable in which you'd like them to be fulfilled. But this is powerful news to the Israelites and just as powerful good news to you and to me this morning. That God is not through with us. That God is doing incredibly mighty, powerful, strong things through us. And he's even going to be the one to provide the strength to do it. So God is saying, not only are you going to make it through the situations you're facing, but you don't even have to do it in your own strength. That I, God, is saying, I am going to give you the strength to do that. In fact, the going has gotten so tough for the Israelites that, that, that even the youngest and even the strongest were worn out. We go to verse 30. It says, Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous men may stumble badly. You see, the purpose of this passage is to urge the people, to remind the people, to rely on God as the source of their strength. Because when we don't, 
That's when we find ourselves getting weary and run down and tired, whether it's physically or emotionally or spiritually. When we're those things, we're incredibly susceptible to temptation or to sin or to believing lies about ourselves or believing lies about God or believing lies about the circumstances in which we find ourselves. You see, the Israelites had grown tired of following the ways of God, and Isaiah had warned them what would happen if they continued along that path. It was going to lead to destruction, and history would later prove Isaiah right. That's what happened. The people had neglected God, and they kind of went in their own direction. They followed their own wills and desires and agendas instead of the divine purposes of God. But instead of saying, I told you so, the Lord uses the prophet to speak a message of hope. That's a message of hope that I hope you and I can hear and receive and live out this morning. I was having a conversation with a retired airline pilot just a few days ago. And he was telling me about his time in the military aviation training. He said out of all the the soldiers who wanted to become pilots, about a third of them would wash out. They, They wouldn't make it. And it wasn't because of lack of skill or lack of knowledge or lack of intellect. Rather, it was overconfidence. It was because they felt like they could do it their own way instead of relying on the training that they had been taught. That's what Isaiah is telling the Israelites in our scripture. You've heard me say before that if you were to to, to list all the sins that we find in scripture in the Old Testament, arguably the, the biggest sin that we find more than any other is the sin of self reliance, of assuming that we don't need God, that we can do it ourselves, that we have the strength or the foresight or the knowledge or the intellect. So Isaiah is painting a a pretty bleak picture of the Israelites and their self-reliance, that they're worn out, that they are now without hope. But in verse 31, he gives us some more powerful and good news. And it starts with one word. Okay, I want you to read this with me, okay? Let's read this together on the count of three. One, two, three. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. Okay, so you've got this bleak picture being painted, relatively hopeless. But the first word of verse 31, it gives us a change of direction. Remember what that first word that you read was? Yet. Some translations say but. Okay, but or yet. Either way, they mean the same thing, okay? It's giving us a change in direction. The the, the narrative is taking us in one direction, but all of a sudden, but, or yet, we're going to change the narrative. We're going to change the direction in which we're going. Though youth may grow weary and tired and vigorous, young men stumble badly, okay? Not the most cheerful of scenarios that we read, but yet... Something different is about to follow. Something different is about to take place. Something new is about to redefine their circumstances. What does it mean to gain new strength? Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. The the, the Hebrew word is the equivalent of the word to renew. And it literally refers to fashion, believe it or not. 
Okay, when it says renew, it's not talking about renewing a magazine subscription, for example. It literally means to take off one's clothes and put on something else. It's saying that they're going to take off that weariness that they had been wearing like an old ragged suit. And just as one puts on something new, God will restore them. God will put on his strength instead of their weariness. It isn't saying that God is adding strength to themselves. To the contrary, it's saying that God will exchange our old weakness with brand new stuff by relinquishing our human and therefore our fleeting strength. God will give us new supernatural strength. That's good news. Who does this apply to? How how do we experience this renewal? Well, it says that those who do something, those who do what? Those who wait upon the Lord. Now, I know what a lot of you are probably thinking. Okay, Joe, I, I don't like to wait. I don't like to wait on a plane. I don't like to wait in traffic. I don't like to wait in line. I don't like to wait on other people. But the Hebrew word used here doesn't mean to wait like we think, to wait in line. Rather, it means to place one's hope in something else. Those who place their hope, their faith, their trust in God. Those who place their hope, their faith, their trust in the Lord will see their weariness exchanged for a supernatural strength. So we continue with the rest of verse 31. It says, they will mount up. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run. They won't get tired. They will walk and they will not become weary. Talking about eagles. The eagle is a a majestic bird, obviously. In fact, let me take you back several hundred years prior to the book of Isaiah. That was written in about 700 B.C. Let me take you back several hundred years before that, the book of Exodus, okay? God's favor and God's mercy is showing the Israelites how God is leading them out of slavery in Egypt. Exodus 19.4 says this, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. How I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You see, not only is the eagle revered amongst Americans, but the Jewish culture, the Jewish society had a great deal of appreciation and respect for these majestic birds. Eagles were seen as mighty warriors who cared fiercely for their young. Grown eagles would carry their babies to safety away from the threat of predators. And the eagles don't waste a lot of time flapping their wings as do maybe some other birds. Rather, they spread their long, majestic wings and they simply soar. They rely on thermals, which are these invisible columns of rising air that carry the eagles above the storm. So Isaiah is telling us that likewise the the, the Lord has given you and you and you and you and me a source of power to soar, to face the storms that we're going to endure, to overcome the obstacles that we're going to face. Uh, Let me take you back to the year 2001. There was a Canadian wide-body jet. It was flying from Toronto to Lisbon, Portugal. It was an Airbus A330, 306 people on board, 
at a cruising altitude of 39,000 feet, well above the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, one of the engines shut down. It just stopped working. Now, honestly, that's not the worst news in the world. It's not the most pleasant either, I would imagine. But the truth is modern airliners are, are equipped to, to, to fly on just one engine. But things would take a turn for the worse. Still, 75 miles from their destination in Lisbon, the second engine lost power. The pilots realized that there had been a fuel leak that starved both of the engines from the much-needed jet fuel. And so, without the engines, the lights in the cabin, they flickered and they went dim. The plane lost its hydraulic functions, making the aircraft difficult to control. Think of being on a plane when all of a sudden both engines go out. Now, when you think of an airplane with no engines, maybe you think it's just going to plummet and fall from the sky. That, that's not true. It is going to be able to glide a certain distance. The, the passengers were briefed on what to do in case they had an emergency landing on the water. And for about half an hour, half an hour, this twin-engine airliner basically was a glider. Fortunately, the plane was able to glide for 70, 75 miles, about 29 minutes of gliding, before the captain spotted an old Air Force base off the coast of Portugal. It was a rough landing, but everyone survived. You see, without the source of power from the engines, the plane is nothing but a glider. When you and I try to go through life without that supernatural sustenance and power from God, we're not living out the design that God has made us for. We are lovingly designed by God, and he has equipped and enabled and empowered you for mighty acts of service and giving and living. And sometimes we're just not comfortable relying on our own abilities, and so we're called to press in to the will and the strength of God. If you and I were in a, say, a grocery store or a restaurant and somebody were to say, hey, Joe, how's it going? My, my natural response would be, oh, things are great, things are fine. Maybe you would say the same thing. But, but are you really? Many people I know feel frustrated or stressed or hurting, tired, frazzled, overwhelmed, unfulfilled, and sadly, these are the words in many cases of even godly men and women. Frenetic, discontented, anxiety-laden lives, friends, are not the ways in which God wants us to live. In fact, that kind of lifestyle is the polar opposite of how God desires us to live our lives. Last week, I gave you a little bit of background on the book of Acts. And this morning I want to look at the very last words that Jesus said to his disciples before he was taken up into heaven. Acts 1 verse 8. Jesus is telling his disciples, you will receive power. Okay, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What are you going to receive? Power. Some of you were asleep. Let's try that once again. What are you going to receive? Power. The word power in Greek is dunamis. Dunamis. From which we get the word dynamite. 
Dynamite was originally used in quarries to explode rock. It was used to create tunnels in the sides of mountains. So God's strength, which he pours out on us, says Jesus, is powerful like dynamite. That power manifests itself in mighty, amazing, and special, and memorable, and eternal, and life-changing ways. I want to try something. Bear, bear with me for just one second, okay? Stay, stay put. No one go anywhere. I'll be right back. I want to try something here. Now, Diet Coke. Anybody want some Diet Coke? Okay, we'll give you peanuts along with the Diet Coke on this Chapel Air flight. Okay, it's been rolling around in my trunk for the last couple of days. Hopefully it's okay. Now, I've got in my pocket some, some Mentos. <laughs> Who knows where I'm going with this? Some of you do. Now, I can't explain it, but there's something powerful when you place a Mento or two or three or a dozen inside a Diet Coke. Okay, I'm not sure. But let's see what happens when we do that. Those of you on the front eight rows may want to be careful. <laughs> now, I've enjoyed being your pastor. Um, I really have. These 11 weeks have been just awesome. And I'm going to miss you guys so much. Remember that plane that lost both of its engines? How scary and how traumatic uh, that would have been for those folks on board. But as a pastor, I'm around a lot of people who are suffering and who are struggling. And I see how traumatic it is for folks who are trying to cope without the strength of God at work in their lives. Imagine if you're on a flight and the pilot came aboard the PA system and said, you know what, folks, in, in an effort to conserve fuel, to save gas and energy, we're going to shut down all of the engines and we're going to glide to our destination. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? But the truth is, God is the source of our power. And yet, how many times do we try to shut that down? I fail to acknowledge his presence or his will or his desire to change me. Or I try to do it myself, and I get bogged down with that sin of self-reliance. Our default as humans in our sinful ways is to, to come up with our own plan, our own strategy that we think can help us get out of the mess in which we find ourselves what we discover is that we feel like a, a mouse or a hamster in one of those little wheels. We're exerting all of this energy, and yet we're not making any progress. The message that Isaiah delivered to the Israelites about 3,000 years ago is one that we still need to hear and obey and live out today. It tells us a lot about God's character, but it also tells us a lot about ours. When we find ourselves sitting there broken and wounded and hurting, that's exactly the kind of place where God says, now you can lean and press into me. For we're then in a place when we realize that we can't help ourselves 
and we need the help of God because we can't do it on our own. Next week, we're going to continue our, our two-part series entitled Come Fly With Me. And this, this morning during our, our song of invitation, I'm going to invite you guys to come up and, and take a set of pilot wings. It has the Chapel Roswell logo on it and it has the, the phrase Come Fly With Me. That's an invitation from God who is saying to, to, to mount up like on eagle's wings, not by our own power, not by our own ability, not through our own strength, for we can't do that, but through his. Let this be a, a tangible and a visible reminder of the strength and the power that can only come from and through God. Also, you'll notice as we wrap up our time together this morning, you'll see different ways in which we can respond to our time together. One of the things that we're called to do is, is to give. Giving is our response to God. It's our, our way of saying, God, we, we, we trust you to take care of us. We're giving back a portion, Lord, of what you have given to us. So during our closing song, I, I invite you to come forward. Take a, a swig of Diet Coke if you'd like. <laughs> But, but, but take one of the, the sets of wings. We have plenty. If you want to take some for someone who's not here or a family member who doesn't come, be my guest. Do that. We'll even have more out next week, okay? Let's go to God in prayer. Most gracious God, we ask that your Holy Spirit sweep through every corner of our heart, helping us to realize those areas of our lives in which we don't yet fully trust you. We thank you for the gift of Jesus who was born into a broken and hurting world so that you could take care of that hurt and that brokenness. Lord, may we live our lives with you and for you. And may the good news of Jesus Christ affect every aspect of the ways in which we view ourselves, the ways in which we view you, and the ways in which we view others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.